Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those who you owe taxes, tolls to those who you owe tolls, respect to those who you owe respect, and honor to those who you owe honor. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Caleb. You guys have a seat. Um, please do your best to contain your excitement um, about all of the things that we get to talk about today with submitting to the governing authorities. I know a lot of you guys have written on your walls at home, Romans 13, 1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. That's on like over your doors and um, you guys put that on your kids' bedroom walls. It's real sweet. I know um, these are verses that we love and um, memorize from a young age. Like it's probably the first thing you memorize as a kid, right? Submit to the governing authorities. Um, yeah, anyway, obviously, I jest, and uh, as we're jumping into Romans 13 today, um, th this is kind of one of those chapters that you're like, well, you know, when I read through Romans, I'm going to like read Romans 1 through 8, I'm going to read Romans 8 a whole bunch, I'm going to read Romans 12, because that's a good one, I'm going to skip over 13, um, and then I'm going to get to like Romans 15, 16, um, a little bit more encouraging chapters, but I, I do want to say this, this chapter holds for us a lot of real good practical wisdom and encouragement for sure. Um, today's message, I'm just simply calling law, love, and light. Law, love, and light. Um, because Paul talks about kind of these three different things in this chapter right here. Um, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus says these words in Matthew 5, 13, and 14. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the what? Light of the world. Man, y'all are excited about that. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Jesus tells his followers this. He tells us this essentially that we are the salt and the light of the world. I, I believe that Jesus uses those two words, salt and light, to simply say this. Uh, we should be, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, the most useful, beneficial, helpful, good uh, human beings that live on the entire planet. What, what are salt and light, if not useful things, helpful things, good things to the world? I don't know if y'all know this. Salt has over 14,000 common uses, most useful mineral in the world right? And light, of course, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful force in all the universe. And Jesus uses those two words to describe us, Christians, disciples of his, salt and light. Be good, be useful, be helpful, that this world should be a better place because Christians live in it. Not a worse place. It should be better. Our society should be better. Your workplace should be better. Your school should be better. Your home should be better. Everywhere that you go, everywhere that we are, and every place that we speak and, and bring the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us into that sphere should be a place that is benefited by our presence because it's benefited by the presence of God that lives in us. 
And sometimes as Christians, we, we kind of uh, balk on that calling that God has given us, that Jesus himself gave to us. Go be salt, go be light. And instead, we'd rather uh, kind of outsource that job maybe to the government itself. Like, you guys fix what's wrong with the world as if that works, right? Like, and instead of us as Christians seeing ourselves as the ones who, are, who have been put in this world to be the salt, to be the light, we, we just kind of rather let other people uh, take care of that. And we'll just sit back. We'll do nothing. We'll be quiet. We'll shut our mouths. We'll live our lives kind of in, in quietness um, and, until the day that we die and go get to go to heaven. You know, that's all great. But the, the problem with that is, y'all, this is not the life that Christ has called us to live, that God has called us to live. He has called us to live a life, again, salt and light. He has called us to live a life that is useful and good. That means that it is our job, it is our privilege, our God-given birthright in Christ Jesus to live in the world as agents of good and agents of change, agents of hope and love and purpose and truth. And if we're not going to do it, who's going to do it? That's the Christian's job. That's what we're here to do, salt and light. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the Apostle Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it's a matter of power. And we can talk all day long, and we can show up at church all day long, and we can sing our songs, and we can read our Bible verses, and we can you know, do our Christian things here that we do on Sunday mornings. But if we're not going to live that out, it's just talk. It's not power. There's no power there if we're not going to actually go be salt and light. What is salt and light if not powerful forces, agents in this world of change and goodness? right? You know, I think that um, for a lot of us, especially as we read a book like Romans, um, like I said, we, we like that kind of first half of the book where there's a lot of theology, a lot of deep stuff in there, a lot of good things to fill our minds with, our heads with. But if we are unwilling, and Pastor Trey did a great job last week of talking about this in Romans 12, if we are unwilling to take what we know, to take the theology that's in our minds, let it seep down into our hearts and then live it out, if we're unwilling to do that, we just become a bunch of fat-headed theologians, and that's not what God's calling us to. Man, it's great to know theology. I love theology. We should know theology. But theology is not just meant to be like, you know, old, old like Christmas things that we box up and, and put away in our closets, right? And then we just get it out once in a while. Theology is supposed to be a well springing up into life every day in our life, right? Theology, all the things that we know from Romans 1 through 11 should be this deep, deep well of understanding and love and grace that springs up out of our lives every day to where we live it out. If there's a well and no spring, what is it good for, right? So the spring is Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, right? And Paul's trying to help us like live out of that well of knowledge, that well of theology, but let it spring up into life into action, right? So this is why he gives us the, the commands and the life-transforming practical applications that he gives us in Romans 12 and now in Romans 13. We ended last week, Romans 12, 21, by saying this, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right? And it's almost like you could kind of say, speaking of evil, and then he goes right into the government, right? That's what he does. I mean, he's like, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I'm not saying all governments are you. I'm not saying that, but I am saying, of course, the Christians back then living in Rome, first century Rome, and persecution was beginning. 
right? And all sorts of Christians throughout the centuries have lived under often difficult governments, if not outright persecuting governments towards Christianity. And we today in 21st century America, we live under a government. I do believe it's still a great government by and large. And however, we know that there are, there's much about our government that's not always good, not always helpful, not always good. And I think it uh, is even becoming more and more, uh, well, I should say less and less beneficial to be a Christian in this society. We, we know that. It, it can be hard to live out our faith. We talked about this as we went through the book of Daniel a few months ago. Um, Daniel is a great example of living in a difficult uh, kind of political environment as a follower of God. So how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we, how do we then live? And so he says, verse 1, everyone must submit himself, submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So right from the outset, Paul's just making it clear. How do we live as salt and light in this world? How do we live as salt and light in a, in a, in a world that maybe is difficult and under a government that isn't even necessarily helpful to us all the time, right? Or a government that for them was outright hostile towards them most of the time. How do you do that? Do you, do you rise up? Do you rebel? Do you just complain? What do you do? Submit yourself to the government. Submit yourself to the authorities. That's what he says. This is not Kurt speaking this morning. This is the Apostle Paul talking to us as an authority given by God himself to us as followers of Jesus. Say, this is how we live in society. Why? Why do we submit ourselves to the governing authorities? Because he says, there is no authority except that which God has established. Um, Paul is making it very clear here. God in his sovereignty has established every authority that exists, right? I don't, I don't care if it's governing authorities or if it's teacher and student or if it's parent and children. It is God in his sovereign will who has established these things. The word established is actually a military term that Paul's using. It's a military term. That means like a commander putting pieces in place. It's like you setting pieces on a, ch on a chess board, right? That's what the word established means. That's what God is doing with all authority in the world, with all government in the world. God puts them where he wants them. And this is not uncommon throughout scripture. This is not isolated to just the book of Romans. Um, Paul has said this already in the book of Romans chapter nine, that Pharaoh was raised up by God. Pharaoh was a wicked man, an evil ruler. God put him in place. In Isaiah 45, the prophet Isaiah actually talks about Cyrus. Cyrus was a, a ruler who was actually called God's anointed one. It's the word Messiah. It's the same word, right? That, that Cyrus, a wicked ruler in Persia, was, was put there by whose command? God's command, right? And I want to read you guys actually from the book of Daniel. If you'll flip to Daniel, if you want to do that with me. Uh, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 19. It says this, it says, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. Listen, he sets up kings and deposes them. This is what God does. He puts kings in place. He changes times and seasons. He puts kings where they are and he removes them when it pleases him. Do you believe, Christian, in 21st century America, that President Joe Biden is President Joe Biden by the will of God. He is. Whether you want that to be true or not. So was President Trump. So will be whoever the next president is. 
according to the will of the Lord. Like it or not, whether you vote for them or not, or however that shakes out, I am not here to tell you exactly how God works out all things that he does. I'm here to tell you what the scripture says. And the scripture says there is no authority except what is instituted by God. He puts it there. And it is not our job to question God's sovereignty in that. It's not our job to just rise up and want to rebel if it's somebody in office that we don't like. It's our job to simply submit to the governing authorities. Because to submit to the governing authorities is to, as Paul says here, submit to God himself. He says, those who do not, who, who do so, sorry, who, who, um, who rebel against the authorities, verse two, those who rebel against what God has instituted, bring judgment on themselves, right? So he's just kind of cutting right out from under the, the Roman Christians, the idea that our job as Christians now is to just kind of go and take over the government, go and rebel, go and you know, usurp authority, go and do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is not how we live as Christians in this world. We are good for the world. We serve and we love and we are kind and we are generous. We are, we are people who are salt and who are light in the world that we live in. This is, this is the call of Christianity. You know the story of, um, like, here, here's kind of a practical example of how this looks. The story in, in uh, Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul, he's on his missionary journeys. Um, he gets put in prison in Philippi, right? He and Silas, they get put into prison. And what are they doing? They're in there singing hymns, right? They're rejoicing that they're even uh, in prison. Um, and then it says the prison like has an earthquake. There's an earthquake. God sends an earthquake and the doors open up to the prison and they have a chance to even escape prison. And the jailer comes running in. This is Acts 16. The jailer comes running in and he's freaking out because the doors are opened up. He thinks everybody has escaped. He's about to kill himself because he knows he's going to get in trouble because all the prisoners escaped. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're here. Like they didn't even leave. How, I have told you guys, Christians are gangsters. This is a gangster move right here. That Paul is so confident in the Lord and who he is and where he is, even sitting in prison. He's like, I'm not leaving because Paul understood something. And here, here's what Paul understood. Philippians 1, I want to read this to you. Paul understood this. This is while Paul's in prison. This is what he writes in Philippians 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. But Paul understood something about suffering and he understood something about submission, right? That in his willingness to submit to the authorities and to do whatever they said um, his punishment should be for sharing the gospel and going about the world, being a missionary, in doing so, he was actually put in places to share the gospel even more so. And in that moment in the, in the Philippian jail and the jailer comes running in, you know what happens after that? He shares the gospel with the jailer. The jailer and his entire family get baptized that night, right? Because Paul didn't leave. Because Paul knew, I'm here by the authorities of these people. I'm put here, but it's not really their authority. It's God's authority, right? Guys, if we live as Christians like that in this world, what can they do to us? Nothing. We're, we have no fear if we live our lives like this. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He's talking about having fear. Like if we live our lives in submission to the authorities, live our lives in goodness and in grace and in love, then we have no fear. We have no reason to be afraid. He says, verse five, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not, because of, not only because of possible punishment, but because of conscience. This is why you pay taxes. Yay, taxes. Um, this is why you pay taxes. 
For the authorities are God's servants. You know that story where Peter's talking to Jesus and um, like, do I do like, should we pay taxes? And the, the Pharisees and all that, they're wondering about this stuff. And just like, who's, whose face is on the coin? Then give it to him. It's Caesar's face. Give it to Caesar. He, whatever. That's his money. Give it to him. Pay your taxes. Be a good citizen. Do what is right according to the governing authorities. And Paul kind of echoes that here. He says, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, and that's to who? All people. Then respect. If honor, then honor. But then he gets to verse eight and he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So we I said this message is called law, love, and light. So now we're on the love part. He's talked about law, obey the law, follow the law, submit as you can to the governing authorities, but always our debt to other people in this world, including the president, including our, 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 our governing authorities of whatever kinds, including our teachers, including our bosses, including our parents, including our brothers and sisters, including our neighbors, our always outstanding debt is what? Love. It's to love one another because he says right here, love is the fulfillment of the law of God. God has given us his law throughout the Bible. We see the law of God and it is summed up. Jesus himself said this, Matthew chapter 22, that the law is summed up in love for God and love for your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Christians, if we are going to live in this society as salt and light, it's going to be because we live by the ethic of love, that we love all people. Like, like what law is there against love, right? Is there a law against doing good to your fellow man? There's no law against that. And so if we live our lives that way, of course, we should have no fear of what the government may or may not do. Guys, you're not going to agree with everything this government does. Everybody like cool with that? Like shake your head with that? You're not going to agree with it. That doesn't change our command from the Lord, our, our true king, amen, to live our lives with love. Now, Question always will come up about this. Like, does that mean I got to obey everything the government says to do? That's not the word Paul uses here, right? He doesn't use the word obey everything the government says or does. It's not what he says. He says submit. Submit just means place yourself under. That's what the word submit is. It's just simply to say, okay, you're in charge. Cool. God's put you there. I'm, I'm not. I'm not in charge. I'm going to do what the law says to do by and large. Now, of course, as we look at the apostle Paul and Peter and even Jesus himself, there are times when the law of the land may actually contradict the law of God. In those moments, what will we do? Who will we obey? God, of course. We will always obey God. God is our king. And yet, what does it mean to submit? We disobey the law of the land if it contradicts the law of God, and yet we can submit to the law of the land in whatever consequence will come upon us for obeying the law of God. That's what Paul did. Paul did it himself. Jesus did it himself, right? Paul went to jail. Paul went to his death. The law of the land in Rome was, you confess Caesar is Lord. Of course, the Christians didn't obey that law. Jesus is Lord. And we confess him as Lord. We're going to submit. We're going to be good citizens. And we're going to do good by the law of the land as much as it depends on us. And if that law contradicts the law of God, we will follow the law of God. And we will submit to whatever consequences we must submit to. Guys, the church grew so much throughout the first, second, and third centuries, precisely for this reason. Because Christians 
were willing to submit themselves to the governing authorities and yet at the same time follow the law of God. And when those two things contradicted each other, they followed the law of God and still submitted themselves to the governing authorities to be killed for their faith. Martyrs grew the church over the first, really, uh, really since Christianity began for 2,000 years now, but especially those first few centuries, people were being martyred left and right, and the church was exploding because they were seeing that these Christians lived by a different ethic and they lived under a different law, really, and a different king. The law of love under the king, the kingship of Jesus, like that never changes. And that's how Christians live. I actually want to read you a letter. This is called the Letter to Diognetus. Um, this is a letter from first or century uh, uh, AD in the Roman world. And then uh, it was written to a guy named Diognetus. And we're not sure exactly who wrote this letter, but he, this was a letter describing Christians in first and second century Rome. This is how this person describes the way the Christians lived their lives. This is what he says. He says, Christians are indistinguishable from other men, but either by nationality or language or customs. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. Their teaching is not based on reveries inspired by the curiosities of men. Unlike some other people, they champion no purely human doctrine. With regard to dress and food and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it's Greek or foreign. So he's simply saying, Christians are everywhere, right? They're, they're just kind of living as citizens in society. And then he says this, and yet... There is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. Listen to this. They share their meals, but not their wives. That was revolutionary in first century Rome. They live in the flesh they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven, obedient to the laws, yet they live on a level that transcends the law. That's the law of love in God, right? He says, Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. They're condemned because they're not understood and they're put to death, but they say they're raised to life again. They live in poverty and enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. They suffer dishonor, but that's their glory. They are defamed, but vindicated. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Deference, their response to insult. For the good they do, they receive punishment as malefactors. But even then they rejoice as though receiving the gift of life. They are attacked by the Jews as aliens. They are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet no one can explain the reason for their hatred. Then he says this, to speak in general terms, we may say that the Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. As the soul is present in every part of the body while remaining distinct from it, so Christians are found in all cities of the world that cannot be identified with the world. Is that not a beautiful description of Christianity? Like that is the description that was written in first century Rome about, like they're just everywhere he was saying. Like they don't, they don't really stand out just to look at them, but they're just different the way that they live. They have joy and they have hope. And yeah, they, they follow the law, but they transcend the law by the way that they live their lives. They're not afraid of the government and they live altogether holy and different lives from the rest of our culture. And so that leads me to verse 11 and kind of the end of the message today. We've talked about law. We've talked about love. And I want to end by talking about light. He says in verse 11, do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber 
Why? Because salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, Paul says. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the simple nature. He uses kind of two different terms here. He uses the the term time and the term hour in this little section here. He says, understand the present time, right? The present time would just be the times in which we live now, right? The apostle Peter, 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and alert so that you can pray. The end of all things is near. What, what time do we live in? The time that Paul's talking about, that, that, that word time is sort of season, right? It's like an overarching big term for like the length of a period of time that we're living in. We're living in the end times, right? The end times began on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled the church for the first time. And since then, for 2,000 years, we're living in the end of all things. Now, that might last another 10,000 years. That might last 10 more minutes before Jesus returns. But we are in the end of all things, And so because of that, he's trying to help us to wake up, right? So he says, understand the present time. And then he says, hour. So hour is like right now. Because of the time that we're living in, because we're in the end of all things, Peter said, be self-controlled and alert so that you can pray. And Paul says, the hour has come for you to do what? Wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. It's just his way of saying, look, when, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, whenever that was, if that was yesterday or if that was 50 years ago, your salvation, your full and complete salvation, the completed work of Jesus in and through your life, when you get to finally see him face to face, praise God, it's going to happen. But that moment is closer right now than it was yesterday. It's closer right now than it was at the beginning of the service today. And because of that, what should we do? We should be awake. We should be watchful. We should be ready all the time. Yes, for Jesus to return, but also as we then go live our lives in this society. Again, salt and light. Wake up and go do good. Go be good. Go serve. Go share the gospel. Go love your neighbors. Again, Christians are put here because the time is coming close when Jesus will return. And it is our job to usher in the light as much as we possibly can until Jesus comes back. And so Paul just says, man, wake up then. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So here's what we do. Here's the sort of the practical Um, application for us today. And I want us to listen closely to what he says here. He says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. He kind of gives three different um, levels, classes of sin here. And he's just calling the Christians to think about our lives. Like that letter said from first century Rome, like the Christians, man, they they didn't live their lives based on their just sort of passions and desires. They lived their lives on a different level, under a different law. And that's what we're called to. We're called to look differently than the world. And so Paul kind of gives three different classes. The first thing he says is, he says orgies and drunkenness um, in the NIV. I think um, uh, really you could kind of put the word partying right there. 
Um, instead of the word orgies, honestly, it's just the general lifestyle of partying and frivolity, right? That's what Paul's talking about. We got to put that aside. And I just want to kind of offer to us as, as we read these verses that maybe some of us, like we're right here in the midst of some of this and we need to begin to put that aside. If we're going to live as children of light, if we're going to live as salt and light in this world, then guess what? We got to look differently than the world looks. And so the first thing he said, like put aside, if you're living a life right now of partying, maybe some of you are carousing. That's maybe some of your versions say that. Um, frivolity, uh, just a general uh, lifestyle of carelessness about your life and behavior. It's ecstatic. It's often attended with excessive drinking and unwholesome speech and sexual activity. That's what this kind of lifestyle is. Paul says, put that aside. This is not how we live in this society. This is not how we live as Christians. And then class two, he says, he says, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Um, this would simply be to obey your basic urges. This is not the Christian life. The Christian life is not a life where we are subservient to, slaves to our sinful desires, our lusts, if you want to put that word on it. Um, basically what he's saying here is, the whole world lives under the sort of the, the God of their own instinct. That's how the world lives. Christians are different. And, and Paul has already made this argument in Romans chapter six. We are not under law. We are under grace. And so sin shall not be our master. And so now he's getting real practical here and says, listen, if you're living your life in sexual immorality and debauchery, put that aside. Put that aside. So that would be to say this. If this kind of defines your life, I eat when I want to eat. I drink what I want to drink when I want to drink it. I yell when I want to yell. I fight when I want to fight. I get angry when I want to get angry. I have sex when I want to have sex with whom I want to have sex. I look at porn whenever I want. That lifestyle is not in keeping with a changed life that Romans 12 talked about. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Paul's just saying, listen, put that away. Put that away. And then class three, he says, um, man, we don't live our lives these ways. And he gets to dissension and jealousy. This is like relational things, right? Like how we treat one another, dissension, jealousy. I think it's interesting he uses that word jealousy. Do you know, um, it was actually Aristotle talked about this in, in Greek, Greco-Roman thought. It was jealousy. Jealousy was the sort of the, the, uh, the emotion in us that was most connected to violence. Jealousy. And think about the Bible, Cain and Abel, jealousy, murder. The Pharisees and Jesus, jealousy, murder. Joseph and his brothers, jealousy, murder. You struggle with jealousy? You better check that because that gets ugly real quick in this world. And he said dissension, that's just sort of the, the general idea of, you know, factions and gossip and slander. And, and Paul's just saying, look, as, as children of God in this world, our lives must not look like everybody else's. That's how the world lives. And we're called to be salt and we're called to be light. So let us 
clothe ourselves. Verse 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I think sometimes the biggest obstacle that we as Christians put in the way of non-believers coming to know Jesus, I think maybe the biggest obstacle we put in their way is us not living any differently than them. I think that confuses people. So let me say a couple things. Um, first of all, if you struggle with any of those things that Paul just named in there, I was going to say I named it, but I just read them to you, right? If, you're gonna, if you struggle with any of those things Paul just named, if you're thinking about your life right now and just go, man, yeah, I'm kind of in some of that and I, and I don't know how to be free from that. One, I would just say this. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, <laughs> if you're struggling with some of those things. In fact, I would say if you're willing to repent and fight against that lifestyle, Paul's talking to Christians, right? And he's telling them, put that stuff away. So he's assuming Christians are struggling with that stuff. But now we gotta be willing to repent and put it away. And the other thing I would say, man, we have a ministry here at Eastridge on Thursday nights called Celebrate Recovery. If you need help because you're living in some of that stuff, come and receive help. Just ask for it. You know what you're gonna find? A bunch of people going, hey, me too. I need help too. Let's help each other. Let's let the Lord work in our lives and, and use the, the word of God to be transformed and walk by his spirit and not live these lives anymore. Because the truth is, um, man, as Christians, again, we are called to bring into the world goodness and grace and truth and love and hope. But we can't do that. We can't make a difference in the world if we're not different than the world. And this is what Paul's argument is in Romans 13. Just live in the light. Stop complaining about the darkness. Turn on the lights and live in it. Live according to, he said, clothe yourselves with Christ. Be put on Jesus every day. Be in his word. Walk by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you according to your faith in Jesus Christ. Live your lives as an offering to God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Giving yourself to him as your act of worship every single day. And now put off the desires of the flesh. Some of those desires are going to be to just complain and, and be hateful about who's ever in charge in this world. Don't do that. Just bring in the light. Bring in the light. Clothe yourselves with Christ. And so here, here's where I want to end today. I was thinking about this this week and just thinking about, man, living as people who are salt and light in this world and just being light. Like, what does that look like to be light? Um, and I, I think it's just as simple as submitting ourselves to God every day. Submitting ourselves to him every day to be the people of light that he's called us to be, right? Um, and I was thinking about that and thinking, my, my daughter, she's five, Thea, um, and she loves the song, This Little Light of Mine. You know that song? Um, and it's one of the first songs, like who learned that song as a little kid? Raise your hand if you learned that song as a little kid. Yeah, it's like one of the first songs that we learned. And it's sort of like in our minds, it's this little kitty song, right? Uh, but man, I was, we were singing it the other day and I was like, you know what? This is a great truth. What a great like prayer over our lives that we would let this light that God has given to us, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and his word and his forgiveness and his goodness, like what a great prayer that we would actually let it shine. And so I just wanted to just remind us of that, something that children know. This little light of mine, 
I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine Let it shine Let it shine What if that was true of us? We go out there and we live out a kid's song because that's what we're called to do. And I promise you this, if we'll go let, light, go let that light shine, go be salt, go be light. That right there, not, not rebellion, not arguments, not Facebook posts, none of that stuff's gonna change the world. This little light of mine, that'll change the world if we would just live it out. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you're good to us and uh, you've given us the light of Jesus to live in our hearts by your spirit. God, help us to walk out these doors and shine the light that you've put inside of us for the good of the world. To not be hateful, to not be boastful, to not be argumentative, but to submit, just be people who submit and submit first and foremost to you. And in our submission and in our love and in our um, undying willingness to be good in this world. God, I pray that people would see you. They would see our good deeds, as Jesus said, and glorify you, Father, who are in heaven. So God, just lead us that way. Send us out to be salt, to be light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you need prayer of any kind, um, please come on down here. Love to pray with you or anybody on the prayer team. You can come down here as well. Thank y'all for being here today. Love you guys. Go be light. Go be salt.